welcome to another edition of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOTN. We're going over UFC 261, a triple header of title fights that we got coming up this weekend. Very, very excited for it. A couple of good fights sprinkled throughout the card as well, but definitely the top three fights are the most intriguing. I cannot wait to break it down for you guys and definitely hopefully come out on the other side with some bet for you, bets for you guys. And not to mention... Your boy's on a nine-event winning streak. So, like, I'm not even going to bother with quick thoughts for 261. You guys obviously know that I'm a big fan of the big uh, three title fights that are coming up this weekend. Maybe not as much about Masvidal and Usman, uh, but definitely for Zhang and Rose and, and Andrade and, and uh, Shevchenko. So let's just get into the betting recap for uh, this past weekend, which will, obviously, on the on the back end, I'll talk about the crazy winning streak that I'm on right now. But... Uh, we start off things at Bellator 257, which happened last Friday, uh, and the lock of the night play was the second play or second fight of the night, second fight on the prelims. We had Mads Burnell go out there and ch- choke out Saul Rogers in the second round, uh, minus 198 at four units. That profits were plus 2.02 units. Good hit for us there. Extends the winning streak to eight straight winning events at Bellator 257, not to mention seven straight lock of the night hits. Uh, the the dog of the night does fall flat on its face, though. We had one unit at plus 170 on Phil Davis. That misses. Uh, you know, given how their first fight went and how the momentum was starting to swing, I thought Phil Davis would be able to be more stronger, uh, the better conditioned guy, uh, the later that this fight went. But Vadim Navinkov showed some great uh, adjustments. He was able to, you know, maintain his cardio over five rounds. I do believe he gave up two rounds, though, and we just need one more from Phil. But it didn't seem like a complete blowout as I expected it to be in rounds four and five for Phil Davis. So plus 170, I'm not too regretful of that bet. Uh, but at the end of the day, the lock of the night play hits, and that's all that I need to hit to have a profitable night. So you, uh, Bellator 257, we profit 1.02 units. The next night, UFC Vegas 24, uh, we'll start off with the dog of the night play. We had under two and a half on Chase Sherman and Andre Lovsky. Uh, one unit at plus 125. That one whiffs. I was expecting to see a little bit more of an engaging Chase Sherman, somebody that was going to push the pressure a little bit more and get his calf kicks going more. Andre Lofsky was the one fucking nailing the, uh, the calf kicks and truly immobilizing Chase Sherman. So that was a little bit of a surprise, but it wasn't that big of a surprise to concern that uh, Chase Sherman obviously coming off a USADA suspension. And uh, when I did the weigh-in show, the live weigh-in show, I actually did a side-by-side comparison of Chase Sherman when he weighed in against Ike Villanueva in his UFC return, and then his uh, weigh-in with Andre Lovsky. And you can see a, 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 an obvious change, a clear change in physique. So that USADA, whatever supplement that he was on, was definitely having an impact on what it, what he was showing inside the cage. And that was more more than an, an example of it that we saw this past weekend. My dog that I play originally was Zara Farn. Uh, you know, who ultimately came in 11 pounds overweight and then they changed it to a catchweight. She still came in seven pounds overweight. She was my plus 105 dog that I had. And I thought it was a great matchup for her going up against Josia Nunes. Hopefully they rebooked that fight because that's a fight that I'd love to see play out. Uh, and I'd still have backed uh, Farn in that fight, but I would have to wait to see what the weigh-ins look like first before I actually uh, go out there and bet Farn again. Uh, so we miss on the dog that I play, but... We hit the important one. We hit the lock of the night play. Five units at minus 233 on Tracy Cortez. That cashes for 2.15 units. A little bit closer than I would have wanted it to be. Obviously, the weight miss uh, the night uh, the day before for Tracy Cortez gave me a, 
you know, a little bit of anxiety for the next 24 hours up until the fight fight actually took place. Um, but Tracy Cortez still comes through. Wish she wrestled a little bit more and more often, but she's the fighter she knows best, and uh, she was still able to pull out the victory. It was close, I won't lie. You know, I wasn't super confident once the scorecards were being read, but I think she did enough to win at least two of those rounds, and luckily at least two of those judges saw it that way as well. So good one for Tracy Cortez there. And that extends us to nine straight winning events, not to mention eight straight lock of the night hits. Now you guys are wondering, how doesn't why doesn't that add up? Why why is it nine straight winning events and not nine straight lock of the night hits? There was the second event in this stretch where I had Leon Edwards as a as a favorite over Bilal Muhammad. If you guys remember, that fight gets uh, unfortunately stopped due to an inadvertent eye poke from Leon Edwards uh, that turns into a no contest. So that night ends up being a push in terms of lock of the night. But the dog of the night does come through. We had Matias Nicolau beat Manel Kopp. So that cash for 1.14 units, I believe it was. And that's why we are still on a winning streak. So nine straight events. Uh, absolutely killer uh, stretch that I'm on right now. And it's all thanks to going back to the regular lock of the night method. Call me a square. Call me a fish. Call me whatever the fuck. I don't care. We're cashing tickets week in and week out here with this method. And given the, the stretch that I'm on right now and the statistics that are, be, are, are able to get backed up thanks to my betmma.tips tracking, this is my my sweet spot. So I'm sticking in my sweet spot. People can call me out whatever the fuck they want to call me out for. Cash and tickets. There's a reason that we're almost over 100 new patrons since April 1st because people believe in the lock of the night method. And that's exactly what I'm going to be bringing to the table moving forward. Now, I did do a quick little bit of research in terms of how minus 180 to minus 350 favorites have been doing in 2021, considering that's kind of the approach that I take not saying that I'm I won't bet anything that's better than minus 180 if I see if a dog that I like that's better than minus 180 you know I believe uh the under two and a half in the uh Kat Zingano and uh Olivia Parker fight that I bet uh, I believe two or three events ago that was minus 171 so I'm not saying it's just between minus 180 and minus oh, minus 350 that I'm looking at but that's what uh bet MMA tips that's what they consider a big favorite um and in, in 2021 in the UFC, those are hitting at a 63% clip. So it's not the easiest to spot those. Like there, there are a ton of big favorites that end up losing. So it's all about picking the exact or picking the right one. You know, we've had uh, a couple upsets over the last couple of weeks. Uh, Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, uh, uh, Lupita Godinez. Like there are those uh, little spots that you could potentially blow up in your face. But given the, the streak and, and the confidence that I have in these plays, and according to better MMA tips, I'm hitting them around an 80 to 82% rate, we're profiting. We're seeing money. And that's exactly uh, the approach that I'm going to be taking here. That's the reason why I'm up as much as I'm up since this uh, run started. In 2021, I am still down roughly about seven units, but it's slow and steady building our way back. And uh, thankfully, I am no longer trying to appease my peers or appease the masses thinking that I'm this fucking sharp ass dude hitting, you know, minus 120s, minus 130s. I know my lane. I'm sticking in my lane and it's working out for me. So in a matter of, I'd say within hopefully three or four weeks, we should be back to being level on the year. But this streak, whoever's been joining me along during the streak, they are profit and heavy right now. And they're laughing to the bank because that's exactly what I'm doing. Not to mention those multi-event parlays that are hitting too fucking insane uh times over here so it's really really good shout out to the 320 patreon members that we currently have might be 321 because i believe i just got a notification just before pressing record on this um we might even hit 400 before may my goal was 300 by may 1st 
And we smashed that within within a couple days. You know, it's been seven days since I put out that post where I'm like, I have I have 282 patrons right now. My May 1st, I want to hit 300. I'm at 320 or 321 right now, seven days later. So hopefully, uh, you know, we hit a, again this weekend and May 1st, we're able to hit again. I believe that's when the next event is and we can skyrocket over that 400 mark because that would be fucking insane and super appreciative uh, from my end. But yeah. Enough about touting, tooting my own horn because your boy's killing it right now, but it's good days. It was definitely not good days earlier this year as I was, uh, you know, whiffing on pretty much anything. I couldn't even buy a lock of the night play because I was trying to be somebody that I wasn't with the approach that I was taking. And now that I am taking the approach that I need to take, it's paying off. So this will continue to trend in the long term and we will see it trend in the long term and we'll get your boy back up to being up 50 units lifetime 100 units lifetime i know it's coming it's just slow and steady that's how we're gonna win the race so uh yeah good weekend for us all in all what is that plus two point uh one seven units on bellator and ufc vegas 24 it's a big event for us there and uh yeah a couple sponsors i do want to shout out before i get into the breakdowns here coolbet coolbet.com uh promo code mmalotn2 make sure you guys check that out great website for gambling if you guys are in canada they do i believe a couple of south american states or uh countries as well as some uh, scandinavian countries all the countries are listed in the the description below uh, so make sure you guys check that out. They will match your, match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks uh, if you guys use the promo code MMALOTN2. Uh, so yeah, check out CoolBet. Great, great website. Um, secondly, obviously the Patreon. I always want to plug the Patreon. Uh, five bucks a month gets you guys early access to the breakdowns. I should be, I will be dropping early uh, breakdowns for the Prohaska and Reyes card in the next couple days. Um, so that's something you guys can look forward to as well as the best bets and props article that I dropped for the UFC that should be coming out Wednesday night, which is tonight. Um, yeah, a ton of other great things, discord channel, which is lively and, and hopping right now. Uh, a pay-per-view parlay for the patrons uh that's where i put five percent of my monthly take from the patreon on one parlay agreed upon by the patrons and if it hits i pay that money out to a random patron uh so yeah a ton of great things over the patreon that i can't wait to uh continue to to, to flourish and and give you guys bigger and better things over there so shout out to everybody shout out to the current 321 patreon members hopefully the next time or the next week i do this one we're up to that 350 mark i'm, I'm certain that we can get there considering the hot streak that i'm currently on so shout out to the patreon members all right let's not dilly dally too much longer let's get into the breakdowns hope you guys enjoy them hit that like hit that subscribe and and enjoy the rest of the show Ariane Carnelosi versus Natalie Young. We got minus 220 on Carnelosi and plus 180 on the UFC debutant Natalie Young. Let's start off on the Natalie Young side, who I've heard a little bit on the on the regional scene here. She had fought Juliana Velasquez over in Bellator for one fight, and then she went back over to the Chinese regional scene. But uh, she seems to have been quite active. 19 fights at 24 years old. That's definitely a lot of fights. That's definitely a lot of repetitions. And it shows that pretty much the first fight that I've seen of her all the way to the most recent fight that i've seen of her she keeps the same game plan she wants to go out there she wants to wrestle she wants to get you to the ground and start getting her jujitsu game going but i gotta say that she leaves a little bit to be desired in terms of closing the distance and actually you know getting proper takedown attempts off as i do believe that will be uh something that she'll fall, fall into trouble here against ariana carnelosi now we do see some recognizable names on leong's record including Liana Jojua, who she was able to tap out via rear naked choke uh, a couple years ago. It was only like the first two or three fights within her career, same with Jojua. Um, but the, the same thing is what we see in every single Liang fight is just, 
get the fight down and get your jiu-jitsu game going. Ariana Carnalosa, you know, she's going to be at a three-inch uh, height disadvantage as well as a five-inch reach disadvantage. But I think that her being closer to the ground, her being the pit bull that she is, stacked the way that she is, I think it's going to be a little bit harder for Leong to get this fight to the ground. Now, if she is able to, I think she'll have a lot of success. But I'm not completely sold that she'll be able to do that. With that said, I'm not the most, you know, in, intrigued to go out there and lay minus 220 on Carnalosi, who is a little bit one-dimensional in my in my opinion. She has a great forward pressure game where she's able to get her big striking off. I, I want to call it like a very poor woman's John Lineker style, which is, you know, wide-winging hooks, just moving forward, pressure your opponent, and just throw big strikes, and hopefully try to either one-knock you out or get a, a decision victory just by being the more intimidating fighter. But I think she's going to have a lot to deal with here with uh, the, the takedown attempts of Leung. Like, if Carnalosi continues to move forward and tries to you know, uh, establish cage control. I think more often than not, on some of the counters that she throws, we'll see Liang uh, change levels and try to land the takedown. So I expect this fight to be closer than the odds actually indicate. With that said, and you'll hear me say this in the other, uh, the Chinese fighter debutants that are fighting on this card, I'm saying the exact same things for them. I need to see them over here on the North American side of things. I need to see them in the UFC against legitimate competition that's made it to the UFC, you know, going through the ringer uh, of their own regional scene and showing that they're okay. They're not just a regular regional scene fighter. They're somebody that can truly make it to the UFC. That's what Carna, uh, Liang is going to be getting here with Carnalosi. Like the, the only like real legitimate fighter that she fought at that point in time uh, was Juliana Velasquez and she came up short. So how much does she truly bring into the table here? With that said, Velasquez, very high level fighter, was able to beat Alima Lee McFarlane last time around and capture the title. So yeah, she has a you know a, a great future ahead of her as well but i think that uh you know leong definitely has shown some solid skills of her own and i do think that she can go out there and implement a similar style here against carnalosi which is takedown heavy clinch heavy grapple heavy and hopefully pull off a submission or at least a tko or a decision grinding out all 15 minutes i'm leaning more so that, to that side especially at the high uh plus money that she's at but i'm just not the most convicted in that in that range either so there are going to be some crazy parlays I'll probably make that will absolutely exclude all the Chinese fighters except except the the Zhang and and Rose fight, considering we know uh, so much more about Zhang than we do about these other fighters that are just making the debuts. Um, but but I like the style of Leon. You guys, if you guys have been following me for a while, you guys know I like backing the grappler, somebody that's going to go out there and try to impose their will on opponent on opponents. And it looks like Leon will be the bigger fighter here, but will she be the stronger fighter? And that's where I think that we're going to fall into um, a couple question marks. And that's what we'll see play out in the first two and a half minutes of this fight. If Leon is successful in dragging this fight to the ground, I think that my plus one eighty is going to look very nice. But if she's not able to, I think that minus two twenty five will be absolutely justified on the Carnalosi side so with a little bit we know from now Liang I'm gonna go with the Liang side I think that she grinds this fight out takes it you know maybe pulls off a submission maybe pulls off a TKO maybe second round or something like that um, but even on the flip side, we can see Carnalosi go out there and knock her out too so I think it's a it's a great fight I think the under two and a half is a very uh, solid approach to take for this fight as I think there will be violence there will be a lot of offensive maneuvers from both fighters to try to get the finish or try to impose their will or try to, you know, sway the judges, whatever it may be. And I do expect some fighter, one of the fighters to overextend it at a certain point. I want to see the other fighter capitalize and get off their own victory. So I'll actually go on the Leong side. I'm going to take her to win by submission here. Just not a hell of a lot of confidence in this spot. So don't uh, put the house on it or anything like that. But I'm going to go with Leong to win this fight via first or second round submission.
Jeff Molina versus Kareng or Kaleng Ayori. I, I can't wait to hear how John Anik pronounces this on the weekend so that I can absolutely nail it myself. Uh, but another ultimate or sorry uh ufc pi shanghai guy making his ufc debut here with i believe two other fighters that train out of the pi um and we got a pretty much uh, pick em fight here minus 110 on both sides jeff molina obviously in a contender series alum who got a big victory over jacob silva um and uh he was supposed to fight zaruk arachev earlier this year that fight gets pulled out i believe due to covid complications and then eventually uh, jeff molina is now here making his ufc debut about three months later um let's start off with molina he has great striking training out of glory mma uh and fitness with uh, james kraus so you obviously know that he's going to be very well coached um looks clean and crisp on the feet that seems to be where he shines he does have a uh, tr- three submission victories in his last five fights which is obviously something that you should be paying attention to uh but i do like what we see from him on the feet and i truly think that's his strongest strongest trait as a fighter on the Aurori side, uh, another solid striker. He seems rangy, 5'7". Uh, he'll have a one-inch height and reach advantage here over Jeff Molina, but I'm not sure how much he'll truly be able to maximize that as I believe that Molina might be the uh, smoother striker on the feet. Now, it seems that Kaleng has some power in his hands, which could possibly cause Molina some troubles here, but just like his uh, countryman, Zhu Rong, and just like uh, you know his countrywoman, Na Liang, we need to see these fighters against solid competition before we can truly go out there and you know back these guys or even fade them you know what i mean i personally want to have nothing to really do with either three of these matchups as we haven't really seen what they look like against solid competition whereas they've been fighting you know questionable competition over there um in china now they have fought you know their fair share of georgians and and russians and stuff but i don't think that those fighters are on the level of some of the fighters that they're going to be facing here in the ufc uh stylistically i think they match up pretty well against each other but i would have to slight the uh lean on the molina side i think he's a little bit more complete with a slightly better striking game but we don't know what kind of improvements we're going to see from iori what he truly has up his sleeve uh how his funky style on the striking realm will play into the game of jeff molina so yeah there's a lot of question marks in this uh, in this fight i don't want to have too much to do with it to be honest it's more of a sit back and spectate and see what these guys bring to the table before we start writing out there and being like okay we got to fade this guy or we got to back this guy with that said i'm still going to go with the jeff molina side here i think he wins this fight via decision i think he plays it safe i think he keeps it on the outside gets his striking going maybe mixing a couple takedowns but i do think that molina is going to be the better overall fighter here and definitely the better coached fighter here too which i think is going to be key for him to uh draw up some sort of um some sort of game plan to stop the the, the game of iori with a little bit of tape that we have out there to actually watch ourselves so i'll go with molina I'll take him to win this fight via decision. Zhu Rong versus Rodrigo Vargas. We got minus 250 on Zhu Rong and plus 110 on Rodrigo Vargas. Let's start off with Vargas, who's coming into his third fight in the UFC. He's 0-2 at this point in time. The first one coming via decision or loss via decision to Alex DeSilva, who was able to ground him for the majority of the 15 minutes in their fight and grind him out to a decision victory. And then in the fight after that, we saw him try to use grappling to his advantage against Brock Weaver. Unfortunately, he was not able to keep Brock Weaver. Actually, I lied. 
kept Brock Weaver down <laughs> and then ultimately followed up with an illegal knee, which was probably one of the more brutal illegal knees that we've ever seen, uh, which pretty much shut off the lights of Brock Weaver for, you know, a couple seconds. Uh, and they ultimately ruled that fight a DQ and a win for Brock Weaver. Obviously, Weaver was not accepting of the victory as you would expect. Um, and Rodrigo Vargas seemed to show some resentment. Uh, obviously, at the end there, he was very disappointed in himself that he had that outcome in the fight. It seemed like he was going on to to have a solid performance in that fight, right? Him using what was his downfall in his prior fight to go out there and try to get a victory of his own. And it, it seemed to be working for the whatever two minutes the fight lasted before he landed that illegal knee. And now I'm not entirely sure what kind of approach we'll see from him moving forward. Normally, he's a guy that goes out there and likes to slug and likes to try to knock you out and really try to get his bravado going with his, with his striking and his heavy power that he has in his hands. But if he wants to keep some longevity inside the UFC, he knows he's going to have to add some more wrinkles to his game. And maybe that wrestling game, which is what he showed in the Brock Weaver fight, is something that he'll look to implement here against Zhu Rong. Now with Zhu Rong, uh, you know, sketchy tape that's out there on him, not to mention apparently he has 20 fights at 20 years old or 21 years old. Uh, so th there's a lot to, to apparently that's out there, but we can't really get our hands on it. There are some fights that we I have seen. It seems like his striking is good. He has a couple of submission victories under his record as well. Um, but I, I'd like to see the more recent fights and I just don't have access to those. So let's let these guys flush out in the UFC before we truly start paying the, the, the heavy chalk on them, right? Like he could absolutely come into the UFC and he might look like a killer but uh you know we we need to see it plan out first before we pay minus 250 on a guy that's coming over from from china again right level of competition over there is very very minimal um even against a guy like rodrigo vargas maybe vargas goes out there and starches the same guys that zurong has been starching right um there's a couple of these new UFC debutants coming from China. Apparently, they're signed with UFC PI in Shanghai, so they have, you know, they they probably want to set these fighters up for fights that are, you know, very much in their favor, so they can build them up and continue to build that Chinese market, especially you know, spearheaded with Wally Zhang, who's fighting uh, with and defending her title this weekend too. So it was obviously a conscious effort for the UFC to line them all up on the same card here. Uh, I, I am impressed with the little bit of that I've seen from Zurong, right? He's very technical on the feet. He has some good striking, good power in his hands. Uh, he has endurance as well. I've seen him, uh, or at least I've seen on his record that he's been able to go to like four or five rounds as well. So his cardio has got to be good, especially when he's getting victories in those fights. But level of competition is another question mark, right? If he's going up against adversity, how well does that cardio hold up? It definitely doesn't hold up as well when, it, when things are going your way and you're having ultimate success. When you're starting to stress and when you're starting to have resistance, that's when we see the cardio truly come into play. Is Rodrigo Vargas going to bring that out of him? I'm not 100% sure. I think that we, we could see the grapple-heavy approach from wrong as well, and it might work against him too. We might see Vargas pull it out. So there's a ton of question marks on this fight for myself, primarily that I just need to see Zhu Rong go out there and fight a couple guys in the UFC before I can truly put my finger on it and truly be invested to pay that minus 250 on this guy. I do think he wins. I think he's a slicker striker. I think he has a solid chin. I think he should be able to take whatever Rodrigo is throwing his way. But I'm interested to see how Rodrigo looks to attack this fight compared to what we saw, you know, the, the little that we did see from him in the Brock Weaver fight. And if there are other games in his, uh, you know, other things in his game that he's working on that we truly haven't seen in the cage at this point in time. So I'm going with wrong, though. I, again, I think he's the much more skilled fighter at this point in time. He has a good wealth of experience again questionable competition that truly comes into play here uh, so i wouldn't be overly invested in this fight especially with the chalk price on wrong but i will go wrong to win this fight i would say second round tko um 
but there's just so much we need to know about wrong before we can truly play minus one minus 250 so i'll go wrong second round tko Dana Batgriel versus Kevin Natividad. We got minus 185 on Batgriel and plus 116 on Kevin Natividad. Let's start off on the Batgriel side of things, who's been in the UFC a little bit longer. He has two fights in the UFC compared to the one for Natividad. Uh, Batgriel has gone one and one in that amount of time. That one loss coming to Haile Alatang in his UFC debut, and that was a fight where you know, primarily stayed on the feet for the first two rounds. We saw uh, Alatang close the distance with some big shots to really land the more impactful shots. And then in the third round, he goes out there and secures a takedown and grinds out a decision victory. Next time around, we saw Danau was him again to, against Guido Canetti. And that was a great fight for him. You know, a fight that was primarily taking place on the feet. And he was able to get his striking game going, which is obviously the best point, part of his game. And he was able to knock out Canetti with a beautiful uh, combination. Beautiful, beautiful work from him on the feet. I'm very, very impressed with what he brings to the table on the feet now when he first came into the ufc i was super skeptical about the level of competition he was fighting on the regional scene which is why i'm like let's give this guy a couple fights to pan out in the ufc before we go out there and financially back him and i think what we saw from even though highly other tank fight even though he came up short there i'm liking what we're seeing from his uh t striking technique like kickboxing and muay thai um approach he spent some time over there at jackson wink and i know he's definitely properly trained um but he's definitely gonna have to start putting it together and obviously last time around getting that victory victory over uh guido canetti is a good way to start to get back onto the winning track and then start to uh snowball a couple of victories together now going up against him this time around is kevin natividad who has a solid grappling game himself even though he has a uh, i think he's obviously the much better jiu-jitsu player and he's probably going to want to drag this fight to the ground to have the optimal amount of success in this fight but i think he's going to struggle there I, i'm not the biggest believer in his takedown attempts or his wrestling acumen and that, that's where i think that bad Kadil would truly get the better of him is stuffing those takedowns and then letting his hands and letting his striking go to truly put it on Kevin Natividad. Now Natividad last time around he got knocked out by Miles Johns in the in the third round of their fight, and that was a fight where he showed great takedown defense himself. He didn't allow Miles Johns to truly get him down and you know get his wrestling game going, and he did a good job of staying vertical. But ultimately, it was that would cost him to eventually get knocked out in that fight. Beautiful uppercut from. Uh, Maj Johns that flatlined uh, Kevin Natividad in that fight. Now Natividad was very highly touted coming over from the LFA scene, but again going up against very skeptical competition, especially that guy Andy Perez, I think is his name, who was seven and seven going into that fight. Natividad pulls out a decision victory there. Um, I'm still a little bit questionable about what uh, Natividad brings to the table outside of his jiu-jitsu. He has great jiu-jitsu, uh, and I think that's where he truly thrives. But I think his inability to get the fight there is going to cost him here against a much better striker in Dana Batkadil. So I'll be backing Batkadil in this spot. Obviously, the line is a little bit too chalky for me at this point to think of as a regular bet. But with that said, I, I think he is deserving of being the, the favorite here, being the solid favorite. But I still want to see him, you know, pan out a little bit more. Seeing him give up those takedowns to Haile Alatang or that one takedown at the end of the fight was not the greatest look. But I think that he's slowly starting to round out his game. And I think that his striking game will ultimately be the reason he wins this fight. He has great combinations, ends them with great kicks, uh, great Muay Thai clinch as well. And I think that's where it's truly going to pay for Kevin whenever Kevin tries to clinch or get in on the inside. He's going to have hell to pretty much pay whenever he closes that distance. Uh, one inch re height advantage for Batkadil, uh, same reach uh, advantage, or sorry, same reach they have at 70 inches. But I think that we'll see Dana get off the better shots on the feet, landing the more devastating strikes, and possibly getting the finish himself. So I'll go 
uh, I, I'm I'm stuck between a decision and TKO for Bat Grill, but I'll go with a uh, third round TKO for Dana Bat Grill. Tristan Connolly versus Pat Sabatini. We got minus 225 on Sabatini and plus 185 on the Canadian Tristan Connolly. And we'll start off with my Canadian brethren, Tristan Connolly, who's coming off that big victory that he had over Michelle Pereira in a fight that he came in on short notice and came in as a plus 365 underdog. He was able to withstand the, the crazy striking style of Michelle Pereira, allowing Pereira to gas himself out and then eventually uh, pretty much just grinds him out over, uh, over 15 minutes and takes home the dub. So big win for uh, Connolly there. He is cruising right now. He He's on a very solid winning streak, but only has one win in the UFC so far. Uh, and I think this is a, a decent matchup for him to go up against Pat Sabatini. Unfortunately, though, I think he's going to run into some troubles here as I believe that Sabatini will have him covered pretty much anywhere this fight goes. It's weird. I like to compare Tristan Colley to being like the Canadian uh, Nick Lentz or the Canadian Darren Elkins. Not saying he takes as much damage as these guys, but he's not... Uh, super gifted in the in the in the physical department right he's uh he, he's very skilled uh he has some great jiu-jitsu he has some decent striking but like guys that are physically stronger than him or are physically more gifted than him are probably going to get get the edge up on him unless your name is michelle Pereira and you're just going to fucking put on a show and gas yourself out Pat Sabatini, on the other hand, has a great wrestling background. Very, very solid jiu-jitsu. Most of his wins, obviously, coming on the ground, TKO or via submission. Um, and I think that he has a lot of potential to truly grow in this featherweight division in the UFC, as I think that's where it will work out most for him. Uh, this fight is probably going to turn out to be uh, two grapplers going at it, where we're going to see a lot of reversals, a lot of submission attempts, uh, you know, getting the fight to the ground. Um, I... You know, more often than not, when you get two grapplers going up against each other, there it does turn into a striking match. But I'd be surprised if this fight doesn't end up hitting the ground. With that said, I got to give the slight advantage to Sabatini here, who has a great wrestling background, has a solid jujitsu background as well. And even though Tristan Conley knows his way around the mat, I do think that Sabatini will have the advantage in terms of being the stronger guy here, landing the takedowns, uh, and having uh, just being a step ahead in the jujitsu realm. I'd be surprised if either guy gets knocked out on the feet here. Again, I think it's going to end up coming on the ground. And I think that we could see either guy pulling off a submission here. But I will side with the Sabatini side as I think he'll be the one snatching up a choke in this fight. The one uh, prop that actually did uh, stand out to the stand out to me when I was skimming the odds here. And I do want to see what it is uh, because it has been a day or two since I've actually looked at it. But it was the... Um, the under two and a half, both guys are quite active and they don't, they're not laying prayers, right? They like to go for the finish. We got plus 175 on the under two and a half here. And that's something that I'm really liking. Um, as I do think that, again, like I said, they're offensive minded. They're not laying prayers. So we're going to be seeing both guys going for uh, finishes more often than not. I believe it was only five out of 20 fights for Tristan Connolly that have gone to a decision. And then same with uh, Pat Sabantini. Only four out of his 16 fights have gone to a decision. So again, they're either getting finished or they're finishing guys. And I think that we're going to see a finish here as well. So I think that we're going to see Sabatini get the better of the ground exchanges and then pull off a submission victory of his own. So I'll go with Sabatini's second round submission. Brendan Allen versus Baby K, Carl Roberson. We got uh, plus 130 on Roberson and minus 150 on Brendan Allen. And this is one of the few dogs that I actually do like on the card. There's not a lot of dogs that I feel are barking, but Carl Roberson, to me, definitely has the biggest bark on this card. Now, let's start off with Roberson, right? The most recent thing that we have in mind for him is that fight against Marvin Vittori, not just the fight with Marvin Vittori, but like all the drama that was leading up to it, right? 
he pulled out, he he missed weight, all this type of shit. And everybody just has this negative view of Carl Roberson at this point in time. Not to mention he was scheduled to fight Dolce Lungi and Bula, I believe back in November, uh, December, both guys had to pull out due to COVID-related issues. But like, it's been a long time since he had that Roman Kopilov win. I believe that was back in 2019. But like, he was seen as a solid fighter at that point in time, right? He was a he was a plus one twenty five dog going into that Kopilov fight, but he was a minus two twenty favorite going into the Wellington fight right before that Wellington tournament, um, and then comes into the Vittori fight as a plus one seventy five dog and just justifiably so, right? Vittori went in there and absolutely smashed him, but it wasn't a complete demolishment, right? We did see some good things from Roberson. He had some good striking exchanges. He had some good success in the grappling realm, but ultimately it was Vittori that got him into a bad position and then ultimately cho uh, choked him out with the rear naked choke. But Carl Roberson is obviously in this fight with Brendan Allen. I think he's the much better striker. I think he has a lot of power in his hands. I think his technical striking is absolutely going to blow Brendan Allen out of the water. And then in the grappling realm, I don't think that Carl Roberson is as bad as people are going to make him out to be uh, throughout this fight week. I'm sure you're going to hear all these takes that Carl Roberson is absolutely horrid on the ground. And I, I don't agree with that, right? He's still going out there and getting a couple of submission victories under his record. He's showing some solid uh, knowledge about things on the ground. Not saying that he's going to go out there and uh, uh, submit Brendan Allen or anything like that. But I don't think he'll look as bad as people are making him out to be on the ground here against Brendan Allen. Now, I think that Allen obviously is a much better jiu-jitsu player. And obviously, his submission is live for him if this fight does hit the ground. But I don't think it's going to be as live as most people are expecting it to be. With that said, I think that Brian, uh, Carl Robertson is going to be much more effective on the feet. And I think his strike uh, takedown defense will hold up that he'll be able to keep the fight on the feet and eventually knock out uh, Brendan Allen. I think Brendan Allen is starting to fall into that Kevin Holland territory for me, which is... I think the guy's a little bit overrated, and I think the guy has a ton of good skills, right? I think the move that he made from Rufusport down to, in Milwaukee, down to uh, Florida to train at Sanford MMA is only going to do solid work for him, but I think stylistically, this is not a great fight for him, right? This, uh, the, the Sean Strickland fight, I was surprised that he came into that fight as a minus-130 favorite. I just truly didn't see what people were under, uh, were seeing in that fight, as I believe that Strickland is a solid jiu-jitsu player in himself, and then on the feet, I think that Strickland was the much better fighter. But... He was still the favorite in that fight. I don't get it. Just as this fight here, uh, not saying that he should be the underdog in this fight against Carl Roberson, but I think the, the line should be a little bit closer, and I think we are starting to see it tighten up a little bit. With that said, I really like Carl Roberson in this spot. I think he can go, go out there, get his striking game going, get his kicks going, which I think will immobilize uh, Brandon Allen, and then he, from there he should be able to start getting his punches together and possibly knock this guy out. So I do like Roberson uh, to put his punches together properly here. Um, you know, um, really, really brutalize the front leg of Brandon Allen, stop the takedowns, and then get his strikes going, and then eventually get a knockout here. Uh, yeah, I, I feel bad for Allen, but I don't think that this is a great matchup for him. He's 25 years old still, so he still has some time to grow. But I think that at this point in time, Carl Roberson is a little bit further ahead of him in terms of skill, and then his takedown defense should hold up well enough because uh, I don't believe that Allen has the greatest takedown to be honest, um, and I think that's going to cause him trouble here. And I think Carl Roberson will be able to stuff the takedowns, maintain the distance, get his striking going, and then eventually knock out Brendan Allen. So I'm going to go Carl Roberson to win by first or second round knockout. Dwight Grant versus Stefan Sekulich. We got minus 225 on Dwight Grant and plus 185 on Sekulich. And this is a line that's starting to come down. It's starting to tighten up a little bit. It's still wide for Dwight Grant, but I'm expecting the line to continue to close the closer we get to fight day. Now, both guys, in my opinion, 
quite untrustworthy uh, for this weekend, right? You got Stefan Sekulich who's coming back after a two and a half year long layoff. And then you got Dwight Grant who just hasn't been fighting that often. Uh, you know, the Alan Joe Band was a long uh, fight a long time ago. The Daniel Rodriguez one was just a quick fight that happened, I believe, the day of the fight. They had weighed in the prior day to uh, fight different opponents. Both their opponents fall off. They end up matching themselves up the day of the fight. And they have an absolute war, which he ultimately ends up losing. You probably could have stopped it when he was hurting Daniel Rodriguez. But the, the referee continued to let that fight go on. Dwight Grant blew his wad pretty much. And then you saw Daniel Rodriguez come out with the, the knockout victory uh, short, shortly thereafter. But Dwight Grant, what is he good at, right? He has a lot of power in his hands. Just watched the Carlo Pettersorley knockout. That was beautiful. Um, but he's quite low volume, and that's where my issue comes in here, right? He could absolutely land some big shots and kind of sway the judges just off of damage or obviously just get the knockout because that would be the most preferred uh, method for him to win. But if he doesn't throw that much, then he's going to go out there and get, you know, out, outworked. And Stefan Sekulic, you know, seems like a solid striker, seems to have decent uh, volume, uh, seems to have a, at times a little bit of a karate stance where he's like bouncing on the outside and then kind of blitzes forward and, you know, starts throwing some of those like uh, those side kicks to the leg and, and uh, you know, the, the, the blitz uh, combinations that he has that comes on the inside. Um it's interesting to see how this one is going to play out, though, just because of how like their layoffs and the amount of inactivity that we've seen from both guys here. Uh, I, I do lean Dwight Grant ever so slightly, as I do think that he could clip Stefan Sekulic and put him out, because I do think that Grant has a ton of power. With that said, I think the KO prop is a lot better than playing him straight. Uh, you know, it, it's it's tough. Like with his low volume approach, I think that's going to cause him a lot of trouble. But he could come out here and give us a a bit of a different look. But Sekulic could absolutely surprise people here, right? He's a guy that's flying under the radar, has only had one fight in the UFC where he came in as a plus 490 underdog to Ramazan Amiv and loses that fight pretty much, you know, from pillar to post from minute one to minute 15. But that was a fight where we really couldn't truly see the, the what Sekulic brings to the table. You really have to go back to his regional tape to see what this guy is good at and why he can actually win his fights. You know, he has a couple of submission victories on his record as well as a couple of knockout victories. And he seems smooth in his striking approach, but the main thing that I extracted from his tape was that he has more volume than Dwight Grant. So you're pretty much going power against volume here. And ultimately, I'm going to choose uh, the power of Dwight Grant as I feel like he could land on the chin of Sekulich. I think he's going to be the more athletic guy, the more explosive guy, the quicker guy. And I think that he'll eventually uh, land on the chin of Sekulich and put him out here. But this is a fight I want nothing to do with. Like, I'm not putting it on Hail Marys or anything like that. I want I don't want to touch this fight as I just truly don't know what's going on. If I do touch it, it would be like all the way bottom, low level, low tier type of fight. Because I just don't know exactly how this one's going to play out. So I'll go with Dwight Grant. I'm going to take him to win by, by knockout. But not with much confidence here as I truly need to see a little bit more from Sekulic. And we also need to see both of these guys to uh, be a little bit more active inside the UFC. Um, and, and yeah, let's see if uh, Dwight Grant actually comes out there and shows us some new skills. Because what we've seen up until this point doesn't lead me to believe that this guy is eventually going to be a top 15 type of guy. Uh, with that said, the guy has crazy knockout power and that can definitely take you far. Um, and we'll see what he can do for him this weekend against Sekulic. And I think he does end up uh, landing that knockout blow. So I'll go with Dwight Grant via first round KO. Cowboy Oliveira versus Randy Brown. We got minus 150 on Randy Rude Boy Brown and plus 130 on Cowboy Oliveira. Let's start off on the Cowboy Oliveira side of things, who's uh, two and three in his last five fights, most recently coming off a guillotine not, uh, submission 
loss to uh, UFC newcomer Shavkat Rachmanov. And uh, that fight, you know, didn't really last too long, so there wasn't too much to extract from there, other than the fact that Shavkat could possibly be the real deal. Really looking forward to seeing how he pans out in the welterweight division for the UFC. But the two fights before that, solid performances from uh, Alex, right? You see have that you have that interesting fight with Max Griffin kind of back and forth. And luckily for him, he was able to get the decision that night. But the Peter Sabota fight was a great one for him in terms of uh, showcasing, uh, you know, you know his distance striking. Like, he was doing a very good job with his kicks up the middle, really damaged the body of Peter Sabota, and I think it truly slowed down Peter's uh, approach in that fight, which is why Alex was able to, you know, cruise for the uh, pretty much the majority of that fight. Uh, but it just goes to show, right? Like, you never know what kind of Oliveira you're going to get. And I always make this comparison, and I hope somebody's able to make a meme one day of Alex Cowboy Oliveira as Charlie from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia because he's just that fucking wild card that you're never know, you never know what you're going to get from the guy, right? He's still 33, so he's not really over the hill in terms of his age. But, like, you don't know if you're going to get the fight where you had with Nicholas Dalby, with Mike Perry, with Peter Sabota. get tapped out quickly like he did against Shavkat Rachmanov. And going up here against Randy Brown, who's still making progress throughout his career. The kid's 30 years old, um, and he's been in the USC for about five or six years, but he still hasn't panned out himself. This fight's a toss-up to me, right? Like, this one's kind of like the Weidman and Hall fight, where I'm a little bit questioning regarding what, what the outcome is going to be here. Ultimately, I have to decide on the Randy Brown side of things, as I feel he's a little bit technically better on the feet, but, like, if Oliver just pressures him, stays in his face kicks him the way that he was kicking uh, Peter Sabota to the body and just keeps the pressure on him that I think he could eventually break Randy Brown. But I, I like what we've been seeing from Randy from distance, right? The guy's a great striker. His his ground game is improving. Uh, it, it's tough to truly extract a lot from that Warley Alves fight because like he was beating him up to the body a lot and then Warley was really exhausted by that second round and that's where we saw Randy Brown pull off that arm tr or that triangle choke victory. Beautiful win for him there. I believe that was in Brazil, if I'm not mistaken too. But even that Brian Barbarena fight, right? Just absolutely batters him for three rounds and then eventually takes him out late. Um, the, the Vicente Luque one, that, that one's a little bit too quick too soon. I'm not sure who actually signed him off to fight that fight, but I did not think that was a great matchup for him. That was just, you know, if, if Cowboy brings that type of viciousness to the cage and that type of striking approach, I think he would absolutely dismantle Randy Brown here. But, like, I, I know Oliveira is capable of having those Vicente Luque type, of, type performances. I just don't think it's going to happen this weekend against Randy Brown, who should be able to learn a little bit from that. Hopefully we don't see Cowboy kick off Randy Brown's leg the way that Vicente Vicente Luque was, uh, and Randy Brown's just able to get his work going from the outside. It, again, it's so tough betting on or against Cowboy. You just don't know what you're going to get. And I'm truly going to stay off of this fight, uh, even though I do lean the, the the favor here in Randy Brown, not with the utmost confidence either. Um, he has great performances under his belt. He has some very uh, unfortunate performances under his belt. But I do think ultimately that he'll come out here and have a solid performance against Cowboy Oliveira, outstriking him from distance, kicking him up the middle, keeping on keeping him on the outside. Um, you know, you're talking about a guy that's going to have a four-inch height advantage as well as an inch-and-a-half reach advantage. But I think those kicks are going to be very crucial for him to keep Cowboy at bay and then just get his strikes going after that. And I think that's how it's going to actually play out. So I'll actually go with Randy Brown uh, to play a safe fight here and hopefully keep Cowboy on the outside. I will also say I think that Randy Brown has a slight advantage when it comes to cardio too. Cowboy has tended to slow down when fights are not going his way and I don't expect this fight to really go his way uh so with a little confidence I'm going to pick Randy Brown to win this fight via decision
Anthony Smith versus Jimmy Crute. We got minus 190 on Jimmy Crute and plus 165 on Anthony Smith. Let's start off on the Jimmy Crute side of things, who's coming off of two very solid victories. Last time around, he was able to knock out Modestus Bukowskis in the first round, and after that, or before that, was able to submit uh, Mihal Oleg after feeling a, facing a little bit of adversity in terms of trying to get Oleg Shajak to the ground. Um, we know pretty much what Jimmy Crute's game is nowadays, right? Like, the guy either looks for a finish more often than not really early uh big uh striking in his hands but it has a really good jiu-jitsu game which a lot of people were starting to overlook based on the fact that he got peruvian necktied by misha Serkonov. but if people are in the know about misha that guy is an absolute wizard on the ground definitely doesn't get talked about as much as other guys in this division but jimmy crude has definitely shown that he is more than a fighter that just gets peruvian necktied it was on his only loss on his correct uh in his record he's 12 and 1 at this point in time he's 25 years old so he has still a ton of time to grow into his body and, and as a fighter in the UFC and he's already accrued a ton of solid experience against high level veterans and this is no different here against Anthony Smith and a fight that I truly believe is very much in his favor now Anthony Smith started falling on rough times in his last three uh two out of his last three fights uh, he he goes out there and gets absolutely smothered and grapple fucked and pounded into the canvas by Glover Teixeira uh, in their main event fight back in May of last year I believe it was then he goes out there and puts up an absolute goose egg against Alexander Rakic, who was able to ground him for the majority of three rounds and just grind him out en route to a uh, dominant decision victory. Then last time around, he finally gets back to his winning ways, right? You get Devin Clark, who finally gets a takedown early in that fight, but then it's just a little bit too stiff and a little bit too lackadaisical on top and you see Anthony Smith throw up a, a triangle and he was able to secure that relatively quickly and then he gets the tap there. So he's back into his winning ways momentum is slowly back on his side but they're giving him a tough out here here in jimmy crew too who you know anthony smith is pretty much playing gatekeeper here if he's able to turn away jimmy crew jimmy crew has to you know get back down the mountain and and find his way back up in another route but i think that if jimmy crew cracks uh anthony smith here and actually wins this fight he's going to start finding the top eight-ish guys in this division and it and rightfully so i think jimmy crew is definitely ready for it given what we've seen from him over his last two fights with that said Oleg Shajak and Bukowskis are far cries from guys like Anthony Smith, Glover Teixeira, and the other guys at the top of this division. So he's going to have to go out there and make it a very dominant victory over Anthony Smith. And I definitely think that it's something that he's going to be able to do, given the way that these guys match up with each other. Now, Anthony Smith hasn't looked the greatest off of his back, other than his submission victory over Devin Clark last time. But I, I'd be very surprised if we see Jimmy Crute get caught in something, something like that. So I think the approach here for Crute will be to take the, get this fight to the ground and try to grind out Anthony Smith similar to Glover Teixeira and Alexander Rakic and he may not be as big as an, and as imposing as those guys are he still is quite strong and he definitely has a very good top game which I think he'll be able to you know grind out Anthony Smith and even find his own submission of some sort I believe uh, at some point in this fight now the spot that I do like is the over one and a half which I currently think is around minus 170 I understand there's a little bit of juice there but I do think that this fight is going to get grinded out as poor as Anthony Smith has looked in his two out of his last three fights um I still think that he'll be able to handle whatever Jimmy Crute's going to be giving him uh in this fight at least for a round and a half I expect this fight to be grounded for the most fit clinching you know trying to find positions trying to find submissions uh but I don't think it's going to come within the first seven and a half minutes of this fight so uh, I do like Jimmy Crute here I think he does grind this fight out uh, maybe even finds a late finish uh so I'll go with Jimmy Crute either late second round TKO or early third round TKO as I feel like he is a guy that goes out there and pursues the finishes more than he looks to to grind fights out the last thing I will say about this is Jimmy Crute's um 
cardio is a little bit of a question mark here. And if Anthony Smith can survive until the third round, I'd be very interested to see how the fight plays out. And if Jimmy would actually be successful in dragging this fight to the ground later, the later that this fight goes. But regardless, I like the over one and a half as well. I, I like uh, Jimmy Cruto to get the finish, probably TKO second round. Chris Weidman versus Uriah Hall. This is a, a very closely lined fight. Last time I checked around, it was minus 125 for Chris Weidman and plus 105 for Uriah Hall. Now, let's start off on the Chris Weidman side of things, who's finally bounced back and gotten a victory over Omari Akhmatov the last time he was in the cage, and he grinded that fight out, right? He won the first round, lost the second round, seemed like he was gassing, seemed like the tide was truly turning, and then he seemed to be the one that had the extra gear in the third round, and he was able to get the fight into his favor and eventually get his hand raised via decision. Now, two fights before that, you're talking about getting knocked out by Jacare Souza, getting knocked out by Dominic Reyes. His quick experiment up at 205 was very short-lived, and then he came back down to 185 to a successful return. But now he's going up against another guy in Uriah Hall who's been struggling a little bit himself too. Even though Uriah Hall is 4-1 in his last five fights, he you know, may not look the greatest in those performances, uh, but it still end up getting his hand raised. Chris Weidman, we know what he brings to the table, right? High-level wrestling, All-American wrestler, uh, you know, is able to get fights to the ground when it's possible. Um, but his chin has always been his, his issue. Like, it, just look at his last five fights, got knocked out in three of them. And I truly think that his chin is still an issue here. And I don't think the Omari Akhmatov was the guy that was truly going to be able to expose those issues, which is why he was able to grind that fight out the way that he did. Uriah Hall, on the other hand, we know he has knockout power, right? Like, he has three uh, knockout victories in his last five fights. Uh, over solid competition, Christoph Jotko, Bevan Lewis, and Anderson Silva. Decent competition, I should say. Mediocre competition. But, you know, Chris Weidman is no longer the guy that won the middleweight title years ago, right? You're talking about a guy who won the middleweight title, I believe, in 2014. It's been a long time since then. UFC 182 since he beat, uh, since he beat Anderson Silva. But uh, it's his chin, it's his durability that's just been coming into question here. Now, the way these guys match up is very weird, right? Like, you have a guy in Uriah Hall who just seems a very low of volume, doesn't really pull the trigger too much, but when he does, he's truly able to affect his opponents and really, you know, give them some, some something to worry about. Uh, so just based off that fact alone, you can say, okay, Chris Weidman will more than likely be successful in dragging this fight to the ground and grinding out Uriah Hall. But do you trust his chin enough to bet him at that minus 125 line. Now, that line is not bad, and given what we know about both fighters, that's probably the side to go with. However, I don't want to touch this fight at all other than the potential of taking a little bit of a poke on the Uriah Hall knockout prop. Now, more often than not, he's losing his fights until he gets a knockout or gets his hand raised via decision like he did it against Antonio Carlos Jr. And we'll break down those fights pretty quickly for you guys. Like, like the Bevan Lewis fight, he's getting uh, backed up the entire time and then uh, knocks him out in the third round. Uh, losing them clearly losing that fight over over that three-round period uh the antonio carlos jr fight gets his back taken a couple times but every time that they're at distance and our college jr is not able to get him down uh uriah hall is just absolutely piecing him up with that lead um with his lead hand with that jab right down the middle very piston like quick down the middle was really affecting uh, the, the nose of carlos jr was really doing a lot of work there even though carlos jr was able to get a ton of control time in that fight i believe that fight was a split or is at least split down the middle in terms of who believed who won that fight but in terms of damage you clearly got to give it to uriah hall who was landing the better strikes and the more damaging shots and then the anderson solo fight easily lost the first two rounds just because he wasn't throwing anything 
but that you you got to believe that he knows that he only has three rounds this time against Chris Weidman. He's going to have to throw a little bit more. And even when he does throw and possibly lands on the chin of Chris, I'm still skeptical about the durability of Chris, which is why I don't want to be putting money on Weidman at this point in time as Uriah Hall could absolutely start him and, and, and knock him out. Now, the last time I looked at the knockout prop, it was around minus, or plus 210, plus 225 for Uriah Hall, but it seems like the steam is coming in on Chris Weidman, which is why I might wait till at least like Friday or Saturday or, or even fight day to see where that line for Uriah Hall gets and if that KO prop goes up to plus 250 or even plus 300, fingers crossed. But uh, other than that, I'm not, I'm not looking to bet this fight at all. It's, it's going to be a tough fight. Um, you know, if you're a Chris Weidman backer holding a Chris Weidman ticket, you got to feel good going into the fight. But as the fight's happening, I guarantee you're going to be on the edge of your seat, sweating your balls off, thinking, okay, Chris, get the takedown, don't get knocked out. <laughs> it's it's all going to be about getting the fight to the ground. It's going to feel similar to how I felt when I had the Chris or Derek Brunson ticket at plus 150 against Kevin Holland. And every time that fight was on the feet, I was just completely like, ooh, this one's going to be a sweat. But once he got the fight to the ground, he was a lot more comfortable. Just as I expect Chris Weidman here to be a lot more comfortable once he get, grounds this fight, which I think he should be able to. But that chin is just too much of a of a, of a sore thumb for me to like look over, right? Like just this past weekend, we had Gerald Newshirt against Bartos Fabinski, and I had that gut feeling that we were going to get a sloppy takedown attempt from Bartos, and we were going to see Gerald actually pull off the submission. That's exactly what happened. I'm getting that gut feeling for this fight with Uriah Hall that... Chris Weidman might land a couple of takes rounds. He might look good for a little bit, but eventually Uriah Hall will find that chin and eventually put his ass out. So I'll go at Uriah Hall here. I'm going to take him by knockout, probably second round, but I'm not saying it with the utmost confidence. And I do think that uh, uh, Hall does have a really good chance of, you know, if he lands on the chin of Weidman, he's probably going to flatline him. So I'll go Uriah Hall by KO. KO line is probably the only one I'll play. Uh, so keep your eyes out for that and look for that um, that that prop and see how wide it gets. And if you're in the same boat as me, I would take a little bit of a sprinkle. Nothing more than half a unit. Again, very low confidence fight here because it could go absolutely both ways. But I think the thing that holds most value will be that Uriah Hall knockout line. If he wins by decision, I'd be very surprised. I think it's going to be a knockout for you. Hall most likely outcome for him. Uh, so I'll, I'll stab Hall via knockout uh, and I'll call it to happen in round two. Time for the women's flyweight scrap here. We got Valentina Shevchenko, the reigning champion, going up against Jessica Andrade, who's coming up and only fighting in the second or for the second time at the flyweight division after she made her victorious flyweight debut against Caitlin Chukagian, where she was able to go out there and cripple her with a body shot and then finish her with, with punches after that. So this is probably one of the more intriguing tests that we've seen Valentina have to go up to or go up against since capturing the flyweight title five fights ago where she beat Ioanni and Jacek over a five-round period. She's been able to dispatch of Jessica I via knockout, Liz Carmouche via decision, uh, Chukagian via ground and pound, and then Jennifer Maya last time around, where she probably looked the most human we've ever seen her other than her fights against Amanda Nunes. Uh, but we did see her look very human uh, when uh, Jennifer Maya was able to stifle a takedown attempt from Valentina Shevchenko in that second round. And she's the one who ended up on top. And she landed some good shots from up there from that position. But that was the best it was, right? It was hilarious because after the first round, Valentina Shevchenko was close to a minus 2,500 favorite. And then after round two, she was minus 350. And then we saw Valentina Shevchenko go out there and, and go back to her regular game and, and start to win the fight. And then quickly thereafter, we saw her skyrocket once again to that minus 5,000 range because 
It's Valentina fucking Shevchenko, right? It's very rare that we ever see her in compromising situations. And I'd be very surprised if we see her in another compromising situation here against Jessica Andrade. Uh, Valentina is just another level, right? Like the, the, the Liz Carmouche fight, she beats her at range over five rounds. Then the Catlin Chukagian fight decides to take it to the ground and then just pummel her from the crucifix position to eventually get that ground and pound TKO stoppage. And then the Jennifer Maya fight, you know, plays it on the feet for a little bit. And then the second round, she gets that, uh, she gets unfortunately taken down. And then in third, fourth, and fifth round, she goes out there and Implements her grappling game, great throws, great trips, uh, you know, in, in between combinations, she's able to like uh, uh, mix in these trips that just catches her opponents off guard and uh, she gets them to the ground and then just rides her on top and she's able to really win those next, uh, last three rounds to secure the victory against Jennifer Maya. Jessica Andrade, on the other hand, it seems like she was trying to muscle her her takedowns a little bit more in the Chukagian fight. You know, even in the Rose fight, she tried going for a couple of takedowns. But her game has pretty much not changed since the, you know, the beginning of her career, or at least in the UFC. There's a little bit more head movement there, which is a lot to like. So she's not getting as pummeled straight down the middle as she normally is, but she still is eating those shots a lot, which is why Rose Nami Yunus was able to come out with the victory in their fight uh, uh, two fights ago. Even the Wiley Zhang fight, right? That didn't last that long, but we saw that the cleaner, crisper strikes of Wiley Zhang were uh, catching Jessica Andrade before the hooks of Andrade were catching Zhang which is why Zhang was able to get the victory in that fight too that's one thing that's never really going to change in Jessica Andrade's game right she's going to stick to the same game plan pretty much every single time out she's going to move her head side to side and she's going to try to crash forward and land those big wigging hooks and if she's not able to well then maybe she starts to go for takedowns and that's that might be approach that may be an approach she tries to take here against Valentina Shevchenko but I find it hard to believe that she'll be successful with it over 25 minutes uh, or at least over 15 minutes so she can uh, you know uh, accumulate three rounds uh, of of wins rather than just you know the full 25 minutes with that said though I think that Valentina is going to be the stronger woman here right she's going to have a a four inch height advantage as well as a four inch reach advantage but the strength alone you can definitely see will be on Valentina Shevchenko's side Jessica Andrade is a little bulldog of her own and she is quite tankish at, at that 5-1 frame that she's currently at but once she starts fighting women at you know with the physique of Valentina who's definitely shown she's one of the stronger women in this division it's going to be a problem I see the the striking you know that 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 stiff-ish static uh, uh, stance that Shevchenko has where she's able to just you know unload kicks without much wind up and and close distance without much uh, telegraphing I think that's truly going to catch up to, with Andrade here and she's going to be like what the fuck did I sign up for when she starts feeling the power of Shevchenko right like the, the spinning back kicks are just so quick and so precise uh, that I feel like she'll be able to keep um Andrade on the outside and even with her punches and her combinations and her movement alone I think that should be enough to keep Andrade on the outside and nullify the big strikes that are coming our way we haven't really seen Shevchenko in too many compromising situations like I said earlier right that second round against Jennifer Maya which you know she clearly fixed as she was able to land the same exact takedown she attempted in the second round at the ending of the third round and you definitely knew what she did wrong at that point in time she just didn't have the right balance she didn't have the right uh technique going into that first takedown attempt that she tried and then she was able to hit it pretty much for the remainder of that fight she quickly learns from her mistakes and then the Amanda Nunez fights, right? There's not much to take from there that we can bring over here as we have two totally, totally different women than we have in Nunez, than we have in uh, Andrade. 
So I, do, I, I see this as a fight that we can see Valentina go out there and have, you know, a, a picturesque type of performance. Andrade seems very menacing. She seems very, you know, dangerous to a lot of people, especially the way that she finished Catelyn Chukagian last time around. But I'd be very surprised if we see her cripple Valentina the way that she did with that body punch, right? There was a, a very relaxed state that she was able to catch Chukagian in with that initial body punch and I, I truly believe that if Chukagin didn't like you know spin around and make that noise that Andrade wouldn't have like followed her like that um and ultimately finished the fight the way that she did like if you watch Andrade's reaction after that like after they initially you know um exited from the clinch it didn't seem like she's gonna run after her until she saw that she was truly hurt and then she ran after her and then finished her so great killer instinct on jessica andrage but i just don't see that happening here with valentina who should have recovered pretty much everywhere i would say the only worry that i have is if jessica is truly successful in dragging this fight to the ground and grinding her out i'd be surprised if she's able to do that though shevchenko has a really good back uh game in terms of her jiu-jitsu whereas jessica andrage seems to be muscling a lot of things and i think she could ultimately find herself in some sort of submission here against Shevchenko. I think a lot of people might start reading into that Jennifer Maya second round a little bit too much. But once you see that, you know, Shevchenko realized her mistakes and fixed those uh, um, mistakes on the fly, you know, she's pretty much an unbeatable fighter at that point in time. So I do like Shevchenko a lot in this spot. I truly think she's very much warranting that minus 400 range she's currently in. And I think she pretty much takes this fight all around. I'd be surprised if she finishes Andrade. I think she's actually going to beat her over a decision here. Uh, but I think it's going to look very one-sided. Maybe Andrade squeezes out one round. But I think that we'll see Shevchenko pretty much uh, dominate this fight from pillar to post. From minute 1 to minute 25. En route to retaining her title once again. And taking home the flyweight championship via decision. Time for the main event. We got a rematch for the welterweight world title here. We got Kamaru Usman taking on Jorge Masvidal for the second time. If you guys remember, they actually fought way back in July of last year at UFC 251, where Jorge Masvidal took the fight on short notice after Gilbert Burns had to pull out due to COVID-19 uh, complications. Kamaru Usman uh, ended up still defeating uh, Jorge Masvidal over five rounds. And one of the first things that Jorge said after the fight was over is that we got to run this back again. He even told Dana White while he was sitting on the ground, he goes, give me six weeks and I'll beat that man. So he gets a solid training camp this time around, and we'll see if he's actually able to go out there and fulfill that promise. I don't think that he's going to be able to do so. So Kamaru Usman, this time around, we got him at minus 420. Uh, the return on Jorge Masvidal is plus 335. Uh, when they originally scheduled to uh, fight each other, we had Kamaru Usman at minus 265 with the return on Jorge Masvidal at plus 245. And it doesn't seem like the public is too keen on backing Jorge Masvidal on a full training camp this time around. Hence why the line is as wide as it is. And I completely agree with it. Now, the funny thing about Jorge Masvidal is like, since he had that resurgence of that knockout over Darren Till, funny enough, that was only four fights ago. Knocks out Darren Till, has a highly real knockout over uh, Ben Askren, and then his stock just skyrockets right then he goes out there and has that bmf title fight against or um against nate diaz and you know attracts a ton of attention just off of that fight alone and then goes out there and gets his title shot against kamaru usman and falls short the guy has 14 losses on his record right it's not like this guy and i don't mean that in like the the most demeaning way but that's just showing you that there's really nothing special about Jorge Masvidal other than the fact that he got those crazy knockouts in his last, uh, you know, two out of his last four fights. 
and then that Nate Diaz fight was a one-sided beatdown. Like, let's be honest, we know Nate Diaz is really not the most skilled fighter out there. He has great heart, he has great durability, but he's another guy that was right place, right time type of thing. Same with Jorge Masvidal, right? Nate Diaz was ready to take that fight against Conor McGregor way back at UFC 196, I believe it was. And uh, after he pulled off that upset, you know, he, he his, his stock starts to skyrocket and he gets to all the fame and he starts becoming the A-side in a lot of these matchups. But skill-wise, it just doesn't hold up. There's a lot of fanfare. There's a lot of people going out there and thinking, okay, you know, Jorge Masvidal is the shit now. He's finally reached his final form, but the guy's 36 years old, right? Like, which fighter really reaches their final form at 36? If anything, at like 32 or 33 is when these guys truly start to peak. But, like, th there's really nothing special about Masvidal, right? They're, they're, all of a sudden, he has this crazy knockout power, but, like, it's never been in the past, right? Like, it's just, again, I truly think that it's a right place, right time type of thing. And the one thing that irks me so much about Jorge Masvidal fights is, like, there's that there's that trailer, if you guys remember, the, the, there's that show, The Year of the Fighter, or The Year of the Fighter, I should say, on Fight Pass. And whenever they would run the, the promos for it, the one thing that he always says is, you know, all my career, I've just been going to the decision that I just thought one day, if I knock these guys out, you know, look what could happen. If it was so easy to knock out your opponents, then you wouldn't have fucking 14 losses on your record. You know what I mean? It doesn't work like that. It's not as easy as, okay, I'm going to go knock these guys out and now my career is going to change. It just so happened that you knocked out Darren Till. It just so happened that Ben Askren ran into your knee. I mean, I'm saying it's it's perfect game planning on Masvidal's part. Like, don't get me wrong. Obviously, it takes him to pull the trigger on those types of things to gain those types of knockouts. But like... If Ben Askren's head was a little bit off to the left and he missed that uh, flying knee knockout, it's probably a 30-24 you know, a, a, a waiting to happen for Ben Askren by just grapple-fucking Jorge Masvidal, right? There's so many what-ifs in the situation. But what I'm trying to say here is that he's going up against a welterweight goat now. And, and I say that with all due respects to George St. Pierre, a fellow Canadian of mine. But like, I truly think that if Kamaru Usman continues this run of turning back contenders, and hopefully it's not just the same guys over and over again. And even though the Dana White has pretty much promised that Kobe Covington is going to get the next title shot after Masvidal, you know, that's a fight that I want to see, as I believe that Kobe Covington is the only guy that could come close enough to beating Kamaru Usman. And, you know, it was 2-2, pretty much. It was split down the middle going into that fifth round when Usman finished the fight. But I still believe that Kobe Covington is the only threat to Masvidal or uh, Kamaru at this division. So, yeah, Kamaru Usman is one of the best fighters out there. The guy goes out there and gets his game plan done, whether it's boring, whether it's fun as hell, like the Kobe Covington fight, or, as, or I said, or as boring as the Jorge Masvidal fight. The guy goes and gets it done. He knows what needs to be done, and he's going to be able to do it. There's so many instances where you can watch back in Masvidal fights where he just gets hung up on the cage and he's just a little bit too passive with his opponent just pushing him up against the cage. And that's exactly what I'm expecting to happen here too. Like the strongest round that Jorge had in their first fight was the first round. So okay, let's cut him some slack and say, okay, maybe that six days notice, you know, wasn't really... Um, wasn't really optimal for him but you got to look back like if you guys remember leading up to that like the whole talk was Usman versus Masvidal but they just couldn't uh um they couldn't confirm a number they couldn't agree upon a payday that he deserved to fight Kamaru Usman but there were there were instances and there was footage of him training there was instances of him training him as wrestling with Bo Nickel and all these other wrestlers and ATT guys so it's not like he was just sitting off on his ass and just hopped off the couch and said okay I'll take the fight on six days notice that's that's not how it works 
So I truly like uh, Kamaru Usman in this fight. Like again, let's let's say what the pros are for Jorge Masvidal. The guy has great hands. The guy has great striking. His takedown defense seems quite improved. His get up game looked really good. And again, like I said, his takedown defense looks pretty good as well. But Kamaru Usman doesn't need to take you down to truly be effective. He showed in the first fight he can just push you up against the cage. He's gonna be the stronger guy in the clinch. His cardio is unparalleled. Like the guy can just pretty much beat you at any single game. Now let's look back at Kamaru Usman's fight against Gilbert Burns. Now a lot of people were remember the first round where Burns hurt him and uh, you know a lot of people think okay Kamaru's chin is truly going away but go back and watch that like after re-watching that 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 knockdown or it wasn't even a knockdown they did not record it as a knockdown but when you watch that watch that sequence back within the first minute of the first round yeah Gilbert Burns lands a perfectly placed punch perfect power perfect timing perfect precision and uh, Kamaru Usman just goes down to his hands and he's right back to his feet and he doesn't show any signs of real wobbling or or being rocked or stunned or anything like that his f- stance was firm once again uh you know he was st- holding steady on his feet Joe Rogan says he looks wobbly watch that fight back definitely didn't look wobbly he was still moving the way that he normally does and he was able to go out there and uh, you know survive the rest of that round even started you know turning the tides at the ending of that first round and then really start to put it on Gilbert Burns in the second and then eventually finished him in the third round so uh, I believe the Kamara the, the Kamara Usman durability is still really up there I think he can still take a punch I'd be kind of surprised if Jorge not, uh, Masvidal was able to knock him out but I do think that this is going to be another quintessential 50-45 or 50-44 type of decision victory here for Kamar Usman who's going to go out there, push Masvidal up against the cage, get a couple of takedowns, maybe not be able to hold him down as we saw in the first round. That's something very hard uh, to do, but we still should see him control the exchanges his striking is getting even better. Like look at the amount of power that he was uh, able to generate against guys like Gilbert Burns. And then uh, I truly think that he should go out there and continue to batter uh, Masvidal on the feet, stay away from the big striking and the big punches of Masvidal. And one last thing I'll say about this matchup is I love the tandem of Kamaru Usman and uh, uh, Trevor Whitman. Like since he's moved his camp over there before the first Masvidal fight, the guy looks even sharper. The guy looks amazing. Like implementing the, the, the leg kicks the way that he's been doing and then setting up his punches after that, the guy looks amazing. He looks really, really good. So, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be tough to start, uh, slow down Usman, who's 33 years old at this point in time. So I think he still has another, I'd say, three or four solid years to go out there and compete at the highest level. And I expect him to be very successful in doing so in the coming years, and especially this weekend against Kamara, uh, against Jorge Masvidal. So, yeah, I completely understand why Masvidal is a minus, or sorry, why uh, Usman is a minus 420 favorite. He deserves to be, and he should go out there and implement his game just as he has in his you know entire UFC run. So I'm going with Kamara Usman to win this fight via decision. And those are the breakdowns. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Make sure you guys like and subscribe as that always helps my uh, my reach on this YouTube platform. Uh, if you are actually listening on the podcast as well, whether it's through Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, whatever the fuck it is, or on SoundCloud, make sure you guys leave a review. That definitely helps as well. I'm, I'm sure uh, that's something that's... Uh, <clears throat> well, I'm not sure. I've definitely been told that the more reviews that you have on your thing, the more... Uh, reach that it will get the more eyes and ears that it will get out to so if you are listening to this on itunes or wherever the hell make sure you guys submit a review that definitely definitely helps so i'll greatly appreciate that also if you guys want to support your boy even more the patreon is the best place to do it the link is in the description below five bucks a month all access to my picks and i've already said pretty much everything else that you get with it if you guys just check out the 
the, the link in the description below. You guys will get the list, entire list of everything that is included with the Patreon. So shout out to everybody that's on the Patreon right now. 320 plus members hoping to crack 400 by May. I don't know if that's being too optimistic, but definitely given how crazy of a run that I'm currently on, not to mention over 40 new patrons over the last seven, day, seven days, I think that we can crack that 400 mark by May 1st or at least by the ending of that May 1st event. So shout out to everybody. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Good luck on your bets this weekend. You'll see me throughout the week. We got a bunch of great content coming up for you to, uh, Thursday um, Thursday afternoon. I'll be doing the DFS show on Salvetri's channel. 8 p.m. Eastern, I'll be doing the Propping You Up show on my channel with Cody Saftik. Make sure you guys check that out. Friday, uh, Friday morning, I believe they're on the East Coast, so the weigh-ins are actually going to be at 9 a.m. I'll be doing a live stream of the weigh-ins, 9 a.m. to whenever they do the, the stare-downs. And then lastly, the ultimate weigh-in show, the, the new hotspot for Friday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern. We have a star-studded crew for you guys this weekend. It's going to be me. It's going to be Dan Levy from Half the Battle slash Best, Best Fight Picks. Uh, Brett Apley from Daily Fan MMA. And then Cody will be making a uh, back-to-back night's uh, appearance on my channel. He'll be the last one to round out that crew. So I'm very much looking forward to this uh, this this breakdown this weekend and you know all the streams that I have. And then lastly, obviously, Fight Day. 1 p.m. Eastern Fight Day live chat right on my channel. Yeah, it's lively over here. This is your new home for all your MMA content on YouTube. I got you guys covered, trust me, from all angles. Not to mention, I got a couple other things in the works that might be uh, dropping in the next couple weeks. So keep your eyes peeled for that. All right. Uh, good luck on your best this week, and I'll see you guys throughout the week. And I'll see you guys next week for another edition of the MMA Lockcast.